the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. KSLR is proud to feature our Church of the Week. Our desire is that you will get to know the pastors and churches in our community and find a church you and your family can call home. Here's the host of our Church of the Week program, Director of Ministry Development, Mark Longoria. Hello, I hope you're having a fantastic weekend. My name is Mark Longoria, Director of Ministry Development here at AM630 KSLR. You're listening to The Word in South Texas. This program in particular is called The Church of the Week, and it's my pleasure every week at this same time to introduce you to a church and to a pastor in and around San Antonio, because our desire is that you be a part of the local community church. Thank you so much for listening to great Bible teachings from awesome uh, ministers of the Word, uh, nationally speaking as well as locally. Uh, we, we do appreciate you tuning in, but we don't want it to be a substitute for the local community church. So today, in studio with us, we have Pastor Scott Olson. He's a pastor at Trinity Church, located off of uh, 1604 up in the northeast side of San Antonio. Pastor, welcome to the studio. Good to have you. Thank you. Uh, thanks for the opportunity to come and have a conversation today. Absolutely. Well, it's the first time we meet. Uh, I've seen the church uh, pretty much every day. I drive by there every day. <laughs> okay. So I know exactly where you're located. Uh, right off of 1604, but I don't know much about your story, don't know much about the story of the church itself, so why don't we start out with you personally and give us a little bit of a bio. Well, me personally, um, I grew up in Northern California, so hopefully nobody will uh, hold that against me. Uh, went to Bible college in a town called uh, Scotts Valley, California, in Santa Cruz area, and moved out here in 1990. Uh, my wife was, uh, her father-in-law was a pastor of a church, and I reluctantly came to work for my father-in-law, and uh, in my thoughts, I was going to be here for a couple of years and begin a ministry after Bible college, and uh, 26 years later, almost, I guess, uh, I guess I forgot to leave, and so <laughs> it's been a long time, and uh, I, I don't look as old as I am, I guess, I hope, and but it's been a long run here, and so we've been senior pastors for the last four and a half years at Trinity Church, and I've done about everything in between those times from 1990 when I came to San Antonio, um, and maybe kind of like the city, you see the thing grow up around you, and I probably have done some growing up. Well, hopefully I've done some growing up since 1990. So in 1990, was Trinity Church there at 1604, in the present location? In 1990, it was at 410 at 35 Interchange, a three-story glass building, and... Um, uh, kind of an octagonal-shaped building over there that's New Creation Christian Fellowship at this point. Oh, yeah. So Trinity has had a couple of different physical locations, one of them on Nacogdoches Road. Uh, they met on the campus of Trinity University at one point, uh, and they were started in a home in Hollywood Park in 1966. So it's really an amazing kind of journey. They're approaching their 50-year anniversary this year, or we are, I guess, and um, a faithful group of people that that uh, started a church. I think it's an interesting thing. We were just reflecting at a at a meeting, our annual meeting, that it seems like nowadays church plants start with, uh, you know, an offshoot of another church and 200 people show up to a location and they have sound systems and they have money and they have staff and resources. And back then it's this faithful group of people that decided they wanted something for their family and wanted something uh, that was different than what they were getting. And so I guess the old school way, they pioneered a church. Mm -hmm. And so we're the product of that and uh, uh, really love and appreciate uh, the kind of investment 
that uh, those core of people, that core of people brought to uh, Trinity that's carried in, and the, the DNA of that initial congregation, which is uh, very hem- heavy emphasizing family and relationship and children's ministry, and really just spiritual life of a, of a church family is really what we carry even to this day. Yeah. So going back to uh, before 1990, before Texas, and uh, you were living in California, what were, what were you thinking you were going to do? Well, I, you know, I, plans? yeah, as a, as a kid, all I wanted to do was play baseball, but that's, you know, kind of beside the point. Um, you know, when I graduated from high school, I, I, I wasn't the most focused and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Uh, interestingly, I didn't really even want to go to college. Um, but we had a local college in town, uh, the university is Chico State University and, uh, spent a couple of years there. And I had an interesting experience because I didn't, uh, I wasn't inclined to go into a business sector or one of those modes. And I just felt like even in high school, even a little bit unfocused as I was, um, I felt like I wanted to do something that would make a difference for people. So I had an experience. Uh, My first year, I entered Chico State as a social welfare major and realized about 30 minutes into the first class, social welfare wasn't wasn't what was going to work for me. And I had an experience that uh, an internship at a juvenile facility um, in the county and realized then that that if we were going to help people, um, it was going to be not because of a social services, but because something God was going to be able to do uh, in the midst of that. And obviously there are people serving God in those areas, but that wasn't the place that God had for me. So in the midst of this time, my freshman year of college, uh, focus came and my relationship with God um, really tuned into what it needed to be. And um, so I sensed a call to ministry. So my year and a half at Chico State became more getting general education as opposed to focused on a specific task or track. And uh, from that point, uh, a couple other steps in between before uh, Bible college, as we would typically know it. Now, did you grow up in a Christian home, or was this something that you just you, you find Christ later on in, in life, maybe no. in college? Or? Yeah, my family was fantastic, uh, a Christian home, and we were— um, faithful members of the church. My family were faithful members of the church. I think part of part of the their contribution to my life, you know, we were the family that um, were the last ones to leave because my parents were, you know, vacuuming the fellowship hall mm-hmm. after the events and locking the doors, turning out the light. So my, my background as far as understanding of what the church was about is it was family because that's where our closest friends were. But it was also a place where we just dug in and did service and we worked and we served the church and we gave. And if the doors were open, generally speaking, we were there. I kind of joke, I think I was probably at church the day after I was born, which may <laughs> or may not be true. But, you know, uh, there's so much of my early memories that are just, you know, church related. So, yeah. you know, as a teenager, um, you go through seasons where you're uh, less focused and you're more concerned with what people are saying and uh, friends are saying and sometimes living a little bit of a contradiction in life. And uh, I experienced some of those times as well. But uh, so thankful. My family's, you know, my parents were great. Mm. And uh, the church I grew up in, uh, can't say enough about that uh, and the pastors that were there that created something inside of me that uh, some established something inside of me. Yeah. Um, everyone has a little bit of a unique story on how they came to realize that God was calling them to ministry. Uh, what was yours like? Well, I don't know. It wasn't really an epiphany like, you know, a message in heaven, like a rainbow with text on it or something like that. Um, <laughs> that would be the first time, though, if it was. I, I guess. Um, 
so I don't know. It, it was it was a little bit more simple, you know. As I mentioned, uh, as I left high school and uh, being a little unfocused, going into college and gaining focus and gaining relationship with the Lord, um, you know, my sense of of the calling. And I remember a specific thing because I had this conversation with my dad, and I guess it doesn't sound. It certainly isn't an epiphany kind of statement or deeply profound, but um, I remember having a specific conversation with my dad and in our uh, kind of our living room of our house, uh, just next to the living room, I guess. And um, I asked him in this form, I said, uh, Dad, do you think it would be okay if I went into ministry? Uh, almost, you know, my whole uncertainty thing. It was like, yeah. I think back and I think, well, what was he going to say? No, that's a yeah. horrible idea. You should I'm never do that. <laughs> you know, um, uh, in my dad's side of the family, we uh, his grandfather was uh, a minister, and amongst other things, and uh, my grandfather, a very faithful man in the church, and a builder and an architect, and actually was part of the building, made part of the building process, even of the church that we attended growing up. So that part of the DNA of Christian faith was always was always intact. Um, but that call to ministry, I guess. Um, Really grew out of a growing passion for Jesus as um, as my focus became more intent uh, oh, around eighteen, nineteen, and twenty years old. Mm-hmm. Tell me about your family. You have any kids? My family presently. Yeah, yeah. I have uh, two kids. They're amazing. Uh, I have a twenty-one year old daughter who graduated early from college, and she is now uh, starting a career. I mean, she's got a time job and doing the thing, you know, so it's really exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, she moved out of the house, and uh, it's really great. I have a fitness room now, and yeah. <laughs> uh, I tell her, I say, hey, you know what, you're, I like my fitness room, but you're always welcome to come home, and I, her response was actually, I'm not coming home. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's great, and um, she's doing, she's very talented, and she's a very, uh, very important part of what's going on even at the church right now uh, because of a uh, well, she's skilled, and she loves the Lord, and she uh, loves the church, and that's that's a great combination of things. I have a son who's 17, and um, he's an amazing kid and great personality and loves to play basketball and is good at playing basketball. And, um, you know, the Lord has his hand on his life as well. And so we'll see in the next couple of years what, what that happens, what happens with that. So, So did you marry a Texas girl? Yeah, uh, well, yes. She grew, even though she was born in California in San Jose, she uh, she sounds like she's from Texas, okay. and that was one of the first impressions. You know, when I met her on the campus at, in uh, Scotts Valley, California, at Bethany Bible College, uh, I remember the specific you know locations. How you lock in these locations yeah. in time, you know, forever to re- be remembered. Um, but I remember her accent was so strong back then. I don't think it's that strong now. I think she's lost some of it. You know. But uh, yeah, she she basically grew up here from the time age eight to the time that um, well, I guess she's pretty much been here since uh, 1975 or something like that. Well, if you met in Bible school, then there must have not been too much of pushback when you got that calling and said, "Hey, this is what this is what we're going to do." Well, as far as to come here, that was an interesting process. As far as uh, you know, by the time I arrived at Bible College, I had been at Chico State for a couple of years. I had been I had been a part of an internship program at a local church for a year and kind of a carryover employment for a year. So I was on track at that point, and um, it was a matter of uh, the the finishing out of that season of education mm-hmm. and uh, going into a point of ministry. But yeah, my wife, she I think she has believed she believed for a long time. Uh, in her growing up, that she wanted to be a part of a ministry setting and be a pastor's wife or uh, be a minister in her own respect. I mean, and sometimes I think 
um, that sounds a bit demeaning for someone to say, well, she wants to be a pastor's wife. There's a lot more to it than that. Yeah. I mean, she's, I, I kind of jokingly say, I mean, my family's so great that they allow me to pastor the church because they want my family to attend there. So, you know, that includes, you know, the uh, my wife and her help with everybody and her relationships and her involvement in various things. So it's good. You've been listening to Pastor Scott Olson. He's a pastor at Trinity Church here in uh, San Antonio. My name is Mark Longoria, the host of this program. We're called Church of the Week. And uh, thank you for joining us today. We just want to make sure that you know about Trinity Church and get to meet uh, Pastor Olson at least through uh, the radio here. Uh, Trinity Church is located at 5415 North Loop 1604 East. That's up in the northeast side of San Antonio. Uh, you can call and get more information about the church at 653-0003. That's 653-0003. Information online at trinitychurch.com. And uh, just so you know, services are uh, Sundays at uh, 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m., as well as uh, Wednesday uh, at 6.45 p.m. Well, uh, Pastor, let's talk about the church. You get here, uh, what do you do? You move to Texas, uh, you get involved there at Trinity. Uh, you're not automatically the senior pastor. You're serving there. Uh, your your father-in-law is a is a senior pastor. Mm-hmm. And how do how does this chapter of your life get started there? Well, as I started in 1990, I was just a, um, a middle school pastor. So we just cared for and played with and um, had fun with a group of kids that were there and and did our best and worked through that. Uh, as churches change and evolve and transformation in you know in ministries and such. Um, It just kind of, uh, from one thing being on my plate to another, to another, to another, uh, I guess I'm the personality that uh, I do one responsibility and then I get bored and so I take on another. And then, uh, so anyway, that's kind of the evolution of things and and how we've done a variety of different things at the church and um, kind of grown accustomed to taking on various responsibilities. So, um, you know, youth ministry, we were there for about eight years, and the nice thing about that, exciting thing about that, is we had one class of kids that came in at the sixth grade that we were able to really walk with all the way through to the time of their graduation mm-hmm. from high school. So that's an exciting that's thing, awesome. and uh, pretty amazing group of kids that we always had there, and um, good times in our life, and not sure how we survived it because it was so busy, um, but I think that's good, you know, good formation times because the uh, all of that sacrifice of time and even our families growing up, our kids growing up kind of in that environment in the first couple of years, uh, I think is very important in terms of formative uh, for families and such. Sure. So um, how was the transition when you took on a, the uh, church as a senior pastor? That, um, what are, or rather, what are some of the changes that, that were maybe a vision that was in your heart and your spirit of was something that maybe God wanted you to do? Um, Anything like that? Yeah. Well, there probably are a lot of changes, as maybe some people would uh, would see them. You know, one of the things that is my I've always had in view is that I feel like there's a DNA of the congregation, and I've even explained it in this way that that it's not really my right or responsibility to change the congregation's DNA. We did a, a number of years ago. We did interviews with some of the members that were the original members of the congregation for a a membership class. And so we did these interviews, and I listened so intently to what these families were saying about why the church was started. And 
the nature of the spirituality of the church and the nature of their commitment to family. And uh, one of the phrases that just sticks with me within those interviews is one of the founding members saying, we wanted a church that our kids could be proud of. And so to me, when I think about change and what's, you know, different uh, in the year 2016 than the year 2010, um, those things, you know, yeah, there's a couple of walls that have different paint color on them, but the DNA is, is, is locked in place. I mean, it's our DNA. We are invested in kids. We want Trinity Church to be a place where our kids are proud of their church, where our teenagers are proud of their church. And I guess one of the things that I've, I've talked about uh, over these last couple of years is that uh, the criteria, the, the benchmark for success at a church, I, I don't know that it's so much in exactly how many numbers uh, you have in budget or numbers you have in people, but if we see a young person who is either born in the church or comes into the church and when they're 25 years old still attending the church, to me that's, that's success because that's continuity of faith. And so, you know, there's some change things. Uh, Musically, I'm sure there are people that um, are thinking that there's been a lot of change in the music, but I don't know if it's really that tremendous in terms of difference. Uh, Yes, there's some walls that have a different paint color, but that's, you know, that's just, uh, you know, that's just cosmetic. Right. Um, Really, you know, our focus over the last, well, what's on my heart, I should say, is that um, you know, there's there's just an authenticity to faith and and uh, church and worship and teaching that really is at our at our focal point right now. Um, you know, as, as a church, we've we've not been for uh, very showy, I guess, or we've not done a lot of things that are kind of on the cutting edge of politi- politics, or you know, we, we're just not that kind of a thing. But I think that our focus has been this shift of just saying, look, we just want to be authentic in our faith and authentic in our worship. Uh, we want to be authentic as we preach the Word. We want to be authentic as we, um, as we relate to people. What is your style of teaching? Someone goes there and hears you. Are you? Uh, oh, it's a mess. Yeah, yeah it's it? totally a mess. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, that's a great question because, you know, one of my areas of study is in teaching and, and uh, expository preaching. And so um, I, I was asking myself, what, you know, who am I? Um, and I thought, I don't think I know. You know I, <laughs> um, You're talking to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Answering I, your own questions. But, you know, I do. I hear myself. Um, I hear some of my mentors as I minister, yeah. and I hear the influence of, of a couple of individuals in my life. But I do tend to be a, a teacher. And uh, one of the services that we have uh, we call a cafe church or cafe service. And it's unique, and it's uh, may not be for everybody, but essentially what we do in the service is we, um, it is in the sanctuary, and it's at 9 o'clock on Sunday. And so we have these round tables that are in the altar areas and some chairs moved around them. So uh, of these about eight tables around, and there's we, coffee comes, we allow coffee to come in the sanctuary, and we have um, uh, treats, snacks at the tables. And it really is set up in such a way that um, almost as if you were going to one of the local bakeries or coffee shops and we were going to have church there, that's pretty much the feel. Mm. Music's acoustic, and it's a little stripped down from what the 1030 service is. Um, but I say all that because uh, it's um, 
somebody describes it as casual, the preaching as being casual. And I say, well, I don't know if I like the word casual, but I like the word conversational. Mm. Because it's you and I, we're having this conversation, and there's a lot of good interaction between even people as uh, we're making points and asking questions of the congregation. So I guess I can be a bit preachy at times, but um, I I probably tend to be um, more of a teacher than a um, you know, a fire and brimstone preacher, that's for sure. Because um, I like to explain things with clarity. I like to be specific. And I, I try to watch very closely the rolling of my kids' eyes when I'm using words that they don't know. So I try to be <laughs> sensitive, even though I'm probably failing in that most a lot of the times. So I guess it's probably a teaching style, and I prefer a, 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 a conversational teaching style. But I al- you know, I, we want to always have something that that people can go out the door with. You know, they can walk away with knowing, hey, these are some things I can take on this week. I can do this week and apply this week. And um, so that's the nature of the thing. I don't know if that's a great explanation, but I can show you pictures of all my mentors. and I can. <laughs> I don't know if that would help for a radio audience to show uh, you pictures. So. But <laughs> yeah. Very good. Uh, tell us a little bit about the actual culture of the church. I know you, you talked about the 9 o'clock service, the yeah. cafe service being very conversational, very kind of homey type mm-hmm. thing. Overall, the big picture of the church, what is the culture like, the DNA that you, you talked yeah, about a while Well, ago? I think family is a big part of that. Um, most of the people would probably characterize family as being a main function of, of the church. Uh, and it's very diverse, and um, that is in every aspect of spectrum. So it is a very diverse church. So uh, as an interdenominational church, our focus is not necessarily on you know, specific doctrines, uh, that's fine for churches that want to do that. But it really is a Christ-centered, and it's a it's a how-to-live-for-Jesus kind of a place, I guess. Mm. Um, so as far as culture, it's it's interesting, because there's some there's some nuances to the thing. You know, we have a preschool on campus that's a pretty good-sized preschool. We have a school on campus that's a pretty good-sized school. Uh, and then we have the church as well. So, you know, the, the culture has some interesting facets to it. But Generally speaking, this idea of family carries across to all of the departments and such. And th- that isn't necessarily because it's small, uh, but it's just because of that's part of a hard attitude, I guess, and the importance of people and the value of, of people. So, you know, one of the things I love about our church is as an interdenominational church, we have folks who have come really we could identify from uh, just about probably every denomination and or um, church in town, I suppose. Mm, And uh, the neat thing about that is that the the inclusion of of people and the bringing people together, that, you know, it's almost like with family that you have people that, you know, have different preferences in this area, but when you're together, you're together, you know, your family. So I guess I'd say that's probably the the most important cultural thing. Uh, Again, if we were talking about... um, culture of the church and a growing culture of the church being uh, wanting authenticity. I think that could be stated as another piece of those things. Very good. Um, I don't know if you're literally the person that turns the lights off and locks a door, but when that happens at the end of a service <clears throat> and you're headed home or you're, you're already back home, maybe sitting down thinking about, you know, just thinking about the service and how it went, how do you measure success? How do you measure, you know, thinking back, Wow, that was a really good service. Mm. What what would take place to make you think that? Yeah, for an individual service, I think I'm excited when. Um, uh, I, I usually, usually, it, I, I don't think 
uh, you know, my personality is such that um, I don't rate my sermons very well. <laughs> I'm the worst. Uh, I'm my worst critic. So I don't know that I've ever walked away saying, "Wow, that was a great sermon." <laughs> I don't think I've ever said that in my life. I don't know, but um, but uh, you know, when people are engaged in worship and and when uh, people are there and staying late because they're just hanging out and being a part of each other's lives. That's a good thing. Um, I think in the big picture, though, what makes me excited and what makes me, keeps me going is that, you know, we have a glimpse of from time to time these transformation moments, you know. And it's interesting because uh, I wish they were on a, you know, more rapid and more uh, more frequent, but we have these stories of, of individuals who have kind of walked into our church Perhaps they were invited by a friend, or uh, some of them we don't even know how they got there. And over a course of a month or three months or six months, this total transformation takes place in their life. Mm. And so I was just kind of revisiting with an individual who had brought a friend, and I said, wasn't this an amazing thing? You know, you brought this friend, and they were a mess. And she said, quite honestly, she said, you don't even know half of the kind of mess she was, you know. Mm. And she came, and she came to know Jesus, and you know, every week is almost like the light turned on a little brighter. And uh, over the course of her time being with us, she just transformed. Uh, another individual that's become a part of the church, a similar kind of a thing, and one of her family members um, called us or texted us, you know, social or something, and, and said, wow, they attend your church? Wow, I can't even believe that, you know, because the the contrast between life before and and what's taking place in their life now. Yeah. So to me, you know, I, I yeah, every pastor would want uh, more people to attend and bigger numbers or whatever you want to uh, criteria. But to me, seeing individual uh, transformations is 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 why we get up in the morning mm-hmm. to go to church. Well, thank you, Pastor, for joining us and being here uh, with us a few minutes, giving us a glimpse of uh, your life and the, the ministry there. We pray uh, the best for you guys. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate it. We want to uh, invite you guys that are listening to, uh, to our conversation to uh, Trinity Church, located at 5415 North Loop 1604. Uh, services are uh, Sunday, the cafe service. Uh, if you like more of an acoustic-style conversational type of service, that'll be uh, Sundays at 9 a.m. And then Sundays at 1030 a.m. Uh, another service, Wednesdays, also at 645. More information online at trinitychurch.com, or you can call 653-0003. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Mark Longoria, Director of Ministry Development here at AM630 KSLR. Thank you for joining us today as we featured the AM630 KSLR Church of the Week. We hope that during this past half hour, you got a chance to know the pastor and learn something about their church. We encourage you to get involved in your local community church. If you'd like to nominate your pastor to be featured on an upcoming Church of the Week program, submit your nominations at kslr.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.